be with you. And also with you. Alleluia. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Beloved, we gather to worship Almighty God, to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, to devote the will to the purposes of God. We welcome you, those present in our Marsh Chapel nave at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, those listening in our radio congregation across New England at NPR WBUR 90.9 FM, and for those listening around the globe on the internet at WBUR.org. We invite your prayerful and material support, your emailed and written responses, your decisions and selections for forms of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship. The strife is o'er, the battle done, the victory of life is won, the song of triumph has begun. Alleluia. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
who through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, overcame death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life. Grant that we, who celebrate with joy the day of the Lord's resurrection, may be raised from the dead of sin by your life-giving Spirit. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. A lesson from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 19 through 26. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death has come through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Let us say responsively verses from Psalm 118 with the antiphon. love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my power. The Lord has become my salvation. There are joyous songs of victory in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me sorely, but has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief stone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Glory to you, O Lord. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. In thy light we see light. In the resurrection light, enchantment is revealed, and humility is uncovered, and abandon is illumined. In lumine tuo videbimus lumen, in thy light we see light. Johanna, we don't know Johanna from Adam's house cat. She doesn't appear earlier. Who is she here? She is guiding, leading the gathered group of women early in the day. This is a, an advisement to us that religious practice can give way to illumination, to light, for they have gathered in religious discipline, leaving the Sabbath for itself and waiting yet till the beginning of the week. They have come in religious practice to anoint the body with spices prepared earlier, and they have made their way out of an habituated discipline. We love the pulpit of Marsh Chapel because we are speaking both in presence and in earshot, more so in earshot, to those who aren't quite within the religious fold. They're open, we're open to the gift of faith and the word of life, but our perhaps willing to turn the dial on and not turn it off, but not quite willing to be fully present. Maybe present on Easter or Christmas, but not always present through the year. What a gift. What an excitement. What a treasure to speak with, be in conversation with such a gathered congregation. We're not preaching here to the choir. We love the choir. We love you. But we're speaking to the cabbie, to the man fixing a bagel, to the woman sitting along the seashore, to someone on a bicycle with an iPod, to the ecclesiastical expatriate, 
to someone who may have been harmed by the church, to an atheist, to someone longing for and looking for faith, to you. What a gift. So we are gathered here for Easter, and the question becomes why? Just what are we about here? Just what are we doing here? Well, Johanna and her friends, where did she come from? I didn't see her before. Here she is guiding us. They might remind us that in the course of habituated life, in religious practice too, one can hear what is overheard. That is, granted the silence all about us, that silence is not absolute early in the morning, at dawn, when we're quickened, you know, those intimations of presence, those hints and allegations, joy and order and humor and honesty and virtue and beauty, the joy of a child born in the first hour of his life with his fists, the order of that most forgotten art form You know, a well-ordered meeting with a beginning and a middle and an ending in 60 minutes. What a joy. Hallelujah. (laughs) The humor of real life, the truth of mirth, the truth of mirth of course, we say. It is with us. The hope, you know, that uh, is that native hue of resolution before it's sickled over and beauty the invisible beauty, the audible invisible beauty of music. There is an enchantment if we are honest about our humanity, day by day and dawn by dawn. You tell me when you listen to a child in the first year singing herself to sleep before bed, you sense no enchantment. You tell me this evening when you cross Kenmore Square and you see a nine-year-old with a new baseball cap and an oiled glove on his left hand and his right hand in his mom's hand. You tell me you sense no enchantment. You look down from the Matterhorn or up from Death Valley and you sense no enchantment. You see a husband caring for his wife in the last months of life itself and you sense no enchantment. You see a daughter caring for her mother in the last weeks of life and you sense no enchantment. No. We hear, we overhear, resurrection light reveals, again, enchantment. And yet, we hear another tune, another tone as well. How can we not? We hear another. The word of a natural horror in earthquake or worse. The historical tragedy of warfare or worse, the social, the political failure of poverty or worse. We know the tune that Ivan Karamazov strummed when he said, even one, even the single suffering of one innocent is enough to deny and to defy has finally no easy, no ready defense. No, enchantment, even come Easter, is a muted enchantment. And yet, this is strange but true. You know this in your experience. Some of the best people have lived through the worst times. 
Some of the strongest women and men have come through the fires of hurt. I knew Donald for many years, and confessing it, I envied the generous radiance of his life, of his family, of his work, of his soul. But only many years later, over a quiet lunch, did I learn that way back when, in the first year of his first marriage, he has lost his first wife. There is a strange reality that those who have known the dark sometimes shine out best. I never tire of quoting Emil Fackenheim. He was asked, why do you practice your Jewish faith following the Holocaust? And he said, to forbid Hitler any posthumous victories. We know the other two as well. And we live in both with that enchantment that is muted, recognizing that Christ is calling us. Christ is calling us in this resurrection hour and through this resurrection light. Christ is offering us the gift of faith. Christ is making an invitation, offering a nudge, not a directive, not a coercion, a great deal of freedom to respond or to reject. For once we might quote Luther on Easter Sunday saying that when the word finally has pierced the heart, even feeling and even reason give way so that, I love this, Line. There is a new light shining on everything, and once the heart is settled and peaceful and happy, all of, of the rest of life and actions become true. That is, resurrection light reveals enchantment. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. We might proceed with a little humility. The text causes us to Luke Chapter 24, you notice as we adjust our eyes to Luke's text and his tomb, along come Johanna and the, and the others. They enter, and here Luke has placed not one angel, but two men. He uses alone the word body. Other texts show him saying, but they were added later, the body of Jesus, just to be sure that the body and whose body are not to be seen. He is not here. He is risen. The resurrection accounts are either of absence or of presence. And this is of absence. See the place where they laid him. Here there, there is a, a, a ringing question, a majestic question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? The living singular, tanzonta, it might be a title, the living one. Why do you seek the living one among the many dead? And then the multiplied group of women following through and carrying on. And last of all, Peter, a generation ago, you would not have heard the last verse in today's reading, the 12th verse. It's a questionable addition. Uh, the new Revised Standard puts it in. Here is Peter again, looking for linen cloths that weren't mentioned before, rising, peering, going away, amazed. That's a bit of a happy translation of a word that earlier was rendered wondering and actually means befuddlement, perplexity, uncertainty. I refer you to the comments about the Marsh Chapel congregation made some moments ago. We know Peter. Peter knows us. What a gift is Peter's humility. This was mentioned at our Easter sunrise service, sunrise at 7.30 a.m. Now that's student hour sunrise. Actually, that's the middle of the night. 
Peter's humility guides us. We, we need him. You know, religion and humility don't always partner up, marry up all that well. It takes one to know one, the Methodist preacher who decided to speak on humility and titled his sermon, the world's greatest sermon on humility, and the, that's, he used that one only because his earlier one, the secretary had rejected, which was humility and how I achieved it. You know, it takes one to know one. Coffin, in his own coffin-esque way, said at best, religious leadership, we are egotists with a theological alibi, and he cuts to the quick. We learn again in our own time, don't we, that all institutions benefit from a measure of humility, including and especially the church, needing transparency, needing honesty, needing humility. Peter guides us into the dark of this tomb. Though he may be a later addition, there are such Johannine colorings to that verse. And yet, you may say, Dr. Hill, isn't there a claim on the table here this morning? The resurrection? And to your good opposition or your query, we might quickly respond, yes. This is the resurrection in which we trust and which we believe in. We speak, though, plainly about what we know as well as passionately about what we love. And we know that the resurrection is a term that came along to the tomb with Johanna and the others. They carried it with the spices. It is the apocalyptic hope of first century Judaism, whether in Paul or in the Gospels. It is that expectation of a new heaven and a new earth, that there will be children of light opposing the children of darkness, that there will be a resurrection of the dead and all will raise from their, be raised from their tombs. It is the, er, the earlier messianic expectation, and it's that language that the church seized upon to convey the shared, heartfelt conviction that the Lord is risen indeed. Even Paul, who knows nothing of the empty tomb, as earlier referenced and before in 1 Corinthians 15, speaks of appearance. He speaks of appearance. The Lord appeared to Peter, appeared to the 12, appeared to 500, appeared to James, appeared to the apostles, and as to one untimely born, appeared to me. Now what are we to make of these varied testimonies and these diversified religious experiences. We may speak plainly about what we know, but also passionately about what we love. With the earliest courageous Christians, we affirm a humility that is candid. That is, just putting it right bluntly forward. On Easter Sunday, things become fairly simple, not simplistic with Jesus or not, with his life of loving and giving or not, with his gathered community or not, with his forms of authority that is relationship or not, with his service in mission, loving and giving or not. It's an invitation. It's a nudging, it's a call, and the earliest witnesses shared this for all of their differences. A conviction of the resurrection gospel, the word of Christ that has the power to convince you to lead a new life, 
to call you into a new community of giving and loving, to provide you with relationships and forms of authority that last and work, and to set you forth and to set you free in service to others. This is the candid humility that the resurrection light uncovers. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Fifty years ago across the river, it takes a certain taste to read sermons and dusty books that were written 50 years ago. George Buttrick preached his last Easter sermon at the Harvard Memorial Church, and he remarkably wrote, the resurrection life is an invita invitation and a conviction of a new life and new light, the power to lead a new life. He also said tellingly, we need to watch and see that in the gospel and epistolary accounts, Jesus reveals himself to those who love him. There's an invitation here. There's a call, with or not, loving or giving or not. There's an abandon, a self-forgetfulness, a capacity, notice the sunlight of this season, to live on tiptoe, to live every day as if it were our last, to live with the bare-bones Easter gospel of freedom, not just the freedom of the will, but we'll rely on Augustine here, the freeing up, the freeing up of the will. Abandon in love and giving, but, and yet you might say, and you'd be right too, haven't we experienced that without some guidance that abandon can go haywire? Haven't we had 40 or 50 or 60 years in which we've learned some of that? And you'd be quite right, because here, east of Eden, we get lost. It's our nature, east of Eden. We get lost. We get lost in sex without love. That's lust. We get lost in consum consumption without nourishment. That's gluttony. We get lost in acquisition without investment. That's avarice. We get lost in rest without weariness, in happiness without struggle. That's sloth. We get lost in rectitude without restraint. That's anger. We get lost in desire without compass. That's envy. And especially, we get lost in integrity without humility. That's pride. And if you say it takes one to know no one, I would say you're so right. And if you've never known anything of lust, gluttony, avarice, sloth, anger, envy, and pride, then God bless you, you angelic being you. <laughs> but for the humans in the congregation and listening from afar, we might simply affirm that this abandon has means of grace to guide it in the freeing of the will. At Christmas, our grandson was baptized. I held him and he shrieked at the top of his lungs. When I entered the room, he shrieks at the top of his lungs. My son-in-law says simply, he does know people. But following the baptism, as he raced the aisles of that little church, loved by unknown hands and unrelated arms and unconnected spirits, I saw him in a new light, a baptismal light, a resurrection light. We had a bishop once, a servant of the servants of God, 
who liked to play golf in the summer, and when he needed a fourth, sometimes he'd include a student. We finished a round and headed into the clubhouse, and the foursome ahead of us was angry. One stood and shouted, I left my putter on the eighth green. Didn't you see it? Didn't you notice? Didn't you pick it up? And I wanted to say, you don't know who you're talking to. Be quiet here. But he went on, and finally we sat and had refreshment. And after a while, Bishop got up and left. He was gone for a piece. The back door opened, and in he came and set the putter on the table. No words spoken. But afterward, I saw him in a new light, a confirmation light, a resurrection light. I am told, this is apocryphal, that H. Richard Niebuhr was a stickler at Yale when he taught there for punctuality, like John Wesley, do everything at the appointed hour. One graduate student had the misfortune of arriving late, and Niebuhr paused and pulled out his pocket watch and opened it and closed it and glared and stared and, oh. But later that night, the student reported a knock came at his door, and the teacher, this international scholar, said simply, you know, I I was harsh with you earlier. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Oh, wouldn't you love to have that generosity of spirit? Afterward, hearing that, I saw in a new light, a penitent, forgiving, pardoning light, a resurrection light. Speaking of students here at the School of Theology, We invite them to offer a poem, each one. We also say to them sometimes that a sermon can come in three points with a little nugget, a diamond point in between, in thy light we see light, and then three forms of light and enchantment and humility and abandon, and then each one of those having a theological understanding and an opposition and yet, and then a lived experience. We're teaching these things. But we also ask them, no surprise, to recite a poem A few weeks ago, a young woman stood and picked out a Christopher Marlowe gem. And if these pleasures be of thine, then come and live and be my spouse. I've got that a little twisted around, but you get the beauty of it. And I heard it and I thought, there's a new light, a matrimonial light, a resurrection light. Our dear friends Gary and Linda Berg came through this university and school in the 1960s. He served 40 years under the whims and directions of various bishops. Then, following retirement in the middle of the night, one of those sudden things died, was taken. I think of the service. They were formed in a certain way that Linda and he provided in poor churches, in city churches, in urban settings, and in rural poverty as well. He is one of the reasons that I and others like us are here in this pulpit, in this place, in this form of service. I think of him in a new light, an ordination light, a resurrection light. And thank you, by the way, to Boston for Kathleen Corrigan, the fourth grade teacher who taught all three of our children in Syracuse, New York. I think the finest teacher that Boston ever produced She grew up in South Boston, became a nun, and then at Vatican II gave over her habit for the habits of a classroom. At age 50, cancer approached her, and at age 52, she succumbed. But you know, thinking the sermon just took off as it was being written, 
She's more alive today than I am some days, the worst days of my life. She's more radiant and glorious than some of us are on some of our darker days. She lives. Her radiant generosity lives in the minds and memories and hearts of children near and far. After her service, I saw in a new light, in a last right light, in a resurrection light. Now, beloved, soon we are coming to this table. You've seen the guidance of sacramental grace, means of grace. The Eucharist itself is one such, and you are invited to partake. We remember what Peter Berger wrote in his Questions of Faith, that the resurrection is like our understanding of Eucharist. Christ present, the elements not naturally changing, but Christ with us, in, with, and under the sacrament itself. The resurrection light illumines abandoned. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Let us pray. Gracious God, send thy peace upon us to quicken us, to call us to new life, and to illumine our hearts with enchantment and humility and abandon this Resurrection Sunday. Amen.
Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Please be seated. We do welcome you here this Easter morning and hope that you will uh, make use of the red pads that are found along the center aisle uh, to let us know that you're here, here uh, present for Resurrection Sunday, and uh, hope that those on the end will pass the pads down so that others may share in our ritual of friendship. We would make a few notes regarding communion. For those in the balcony, we hope you'll come down the stairs and receive uh, at the station in the narthex. For those seated on the floor of the chapel, we hope you'll come down the center aisle to receive and return by the side aisles. Again, come down the center aisle and return by the sides. As we leave to our service of worship today, we hope you'll exit by the side doors so that our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters can enter for the 1230 Mass. We would also note that there's an opportunity for give an extra donation for Habitat for Humanity. Marsh Chapel, in uh, conjunction with the BU Habitat for Humanity chapter, is attempting to raise $50,000 to build a BU Habitat house, and any contribution you might make would be most gratefully received. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Loving God, we thank you for this Easter day. With its promise of new life and new opportunities, use us and our gifts to love and to serve you and to witness to Christ, whom you have raised, and in whose name we pray. Amen. Beloved, Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Let us pray. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not heard the Christ. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of the risen Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of the risen Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you always. And also, let us exchange signs of peace in this hour. be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity made covenant to be our sovereign God, brought us to a land flowing with milk and honey, and set before us the way of life. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending Blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ, by the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. By your great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of your Son from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Once we were no people, but now we are your people, declaring your wonderful deeds in Christ who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. On the day you raised him from the dead, he was recognized by his disciples in the breaking of the bread. And in the power of your Holy Spirit, your church has continued in the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup. And so, in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God, now and forever. Amen. And now with the confidence of children of God, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Alleluia, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast. Alleluia.
Let us join together in our prayer of thanksgiving. Most bountiful God, we give you thanks for the world you have created, for the gift of life, and for giving yourself to us in Jesus Christ, whose holy life, suffering, and death, and glorious resurrection have delivered us from slavery to sin and death. We thank you that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you have fed us in this sacrament, united us with Christ, and given us a foretaste of your heavenly banquet. We are your children, and yours is the glory, now and forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen. <laughs>